You have your outline before you, and uh, we will endeavor to give some information today that I think all of us need. I know I do, if you do or not, and we trust that it will go all, all okay. Let us bow in prayer before we begin our study, please. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity we have of coming into your presence, Lord. And as we open this precious book, the Bible, we want it to speak to our hearts, Lord. May we see Jesus. May we see the lessons that we should learn today. We give ourselves to you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Saints in wrong places. When I was pastor here, I gave a, a, a whole series on saints in wrong places, and it's kind of a crazy title, isn't it? Because saints aren't supposed to be in wrong places. But did you know that sometimes saints are in wrong places? And so I made a study of it and came up with several, and this is one of them. And the principle for our study today is taken from 1 Corinthians 10:11, which is given in your outline. Now, all these things happened to them as examples and were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then, of course, in Romans 15:4, uh, the Apostle Paul again says it differently. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So you see, the Old Testament is given us for a reason. One time I was preaching in one of our local churches here in the county and I, I announced the, the, the subject and the, the book of Habakkuk. And my wife was sitting next to a lady and she jabbed my wife and says, what's he doing back there? And uh, anyway, uh, Habakkuk has a lot to teach us, and so does the book of Genesis. So uh, as, as we today look over this subject of saints in wrong places, uh, it really, really is a shame in a way that we have to talk about it. And of course, we don't have to talk about it, but that's what I chose, so we will talk about it. You see, uh, the, the reality of life tells us some very interesting things, dear ones, that, that these things happened... In, in the biblical history, and we must address them. And don't think that I am trying to, to harp on Abram, because as Brother Chuck said, what a man of God he was and of faith, and we learned so much from him, and today we are as well. And you see, don't think that we're just picking on him or picking him out. We are learning from his life. That's what I want you today to do is to learn from Abram's life as we make a study of it. And these are some of the lessons that we need to know. And the sooner we do this, I believe, the better. And we can see what happened to Abram in a moment of weakness and pray it would never be repeated in our lives as we walk with the Lord day by day. Now the background is given uh, in the verses that Brother Chuck read to us today. Uh, first of all, it was Abram's call in verses 1 through 3. And I don't believe we uh, have to repeat everything, but just notice uh, carefully how the words are placed in Scripture and the different way it is said uh, in verse 1. He says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. So in other words, he had received the call to get out, and he told him specifically in these verses what uh, he was going to do. And so that was the call. And the, the little phrase in the little word, get out and away from, is a one that sticks very 
uh, very much in my mind because that is a key part of what we're talking about this morning. So after Abram's call in verses 1 through 3, we find Abram's, what I call his compliance, uh, his his, his partial obedience to that which God had told him. And we find that in verse 4 to 6. And you notice it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so this is the, this is the, the part where Abram, he obeyed, but he only partially obeyed because it says that that in, in he that Lot in verse four Lot went with him. We are not told anything about Lot being asked to go with him, but Abram chose to take Lot with him. And when we read the story in Genesis, you know what happened later on to Lot. Remember, uh, and there were some very uh, unwise decisions made there on his part. Well, anyway, this is the the partial compliance of Abram in verses 4 to 6, and then we come down to verse 7 to 9, and we, we have here Abram, Abram's communion, and this is refreshing. This is refreshing, so despite the fact that we're talked about a partial obedience, notice in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I love this. Because when God appeared to him, then it was that this man, Abram, built an altar to the Lord. He was communing with his, with, with his father. And that is so very, very important. And, and so the Lord uh, actually reaffirmed his promise to him in verse 7. And then when Abram built an altar to the Lord, also in verse 7, notice in verse 8. And it says then in verse 8, And he moved from there uh, to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So it's interesting. The Lord appeared to him. He had communion with him. He built an altar to the Lord. Then later on he went to another lo lo location, and there <clears throat> the Lord appeared to him again. He built an altar to the Lord, and there he pitched his tent. What a wonderful thing. You see, it's always good to pitch your tent where you're going to have communion with the Lord. And that's what happened in this occasion. Abram had communion with the Lord, pitched his tent, called upon the name of the Lord. That was his communion with him. It's very, very important. And I, I guess we could ask ourselves today, could we not, do we have a place, do we have a place and a time to call upon the Lord it reminds me over of uh, some stories from Africa that the that the missionaries told of some of the nationals in uh, in way distant parts of Africa, away from cities. The the folks that had become Christians would would go out on a, a little area away from their their village, and they would have a a quiet place that just their own, where they would pray. And they would go every day and go out there, and that's where they would have their prayer time. And sometimes people in the busyness of life would uh, not go out as often as they used to. So the little trail that went over there to this secret little place with communion with the Lord, the weeds began to grow on the trail. And so they would remind one another, oh, brother or sister, I notice that the weeds are growing on your path. 
And you see, folks, that would be such an easy thing to happen for us to say that we're having communion with the Lord and we go to this place each day where we do this and have this quiet time of reading God's word and prayer. But then we kind of slip away and we don't do it like we're supposed to do. And the busyness of life and activities keep us away from those things and the weeds begin to grow on the path where we used to go to have our communion with God. Don't let that ever happen in your life or mine, I pray. And you know, we find now, we find now after looking at the, at the background of this situation, now let's get into the cause of his backsliding. And I only call it this way because he is doing something which is not pleasing to the Lord, therefore we are calling it a backsliding situation. You might name it something else in, in, your, in your own personal study. But notice in verse 9, there's an interesting phrase in verse 9, and let me read that for you. It says, So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Very interesting phrase. We might just read it and say, well, so what? He's going to where God wants him to go. But you see, it's interesting that this little phrase is indicative of something because this was going to be a new trial for Abram and, and his faith by which we see that the end of one affliction is the beginning of another because notice the surface problem, will you? The surface problem is given us in verse, in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. You see, that's the surface problem. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. That's very, very interesting. Um, if the surface problem was a famine, the, the root problem, as we look at the causes of the backsliding, the root problem was not trusting God in every situation. Now, we're not criticizing Abram because we must look at our own lives and how many of us trust the Lord in every situation, but we are learning from this man's life as we read his story. So there is, it, 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 the, the problem starts when you get away from the altar. Verse 9, he, in the preceding verses, Abram had an altar. He moved away from that and the, the trouble started coming. There is no more record of an altar in Egypt. You read the story, and you will never find him communing, communing with the Lord. No altar, no place of prayer. It is gone, not recorded for us, at least uh, in, in Holy Scripture. And that seems to be very indicative. When there's sin in our lives, dear folks, we, we lose our fellowship with God. Now, when we talk about famines, I don't know if anyone here has ever gone through a famine. We lived in Brazil where we saw famines, and, and uh, sometimes quite often. We fortunately never had to, to suffer, suffer hardship because of famines, but we saw people around us who did. But it's interesting, as you study the scripture, you will find some very interesting things about famines. Number one, God causes famines. Is that a new thought for anybody? God causes the famines. Listen to the verse, Psalm 105, verse 16. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed the provision of bread. See, God in his infinite and sovereign will 
unknown to us or even why he does it. Sometimes he causes a famine. The second thing about a famine, God keeps us alive in famines. Look at Psalm 33, verse 19. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. These are words from Scripture about famines. The third thing about a famine, which I find interesting, is in Psalm 37, 19, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Isn't that incredible? So God sends it, God keeps us alive in the famine, and God satisfies us in the famine, and it is absolutely amazing. Now, in Brazil, we had famines. We have seen some of the most extraordinary things happen in a country where famines come that you folks probably have never heard about unless you have heard me as I've tell, told the children, maybe at Awana, some of these stories through the years or maybe in a Mesodilla illustration. In Brazil, in northeast Brazil, the great arid desert, arid area of Brazil, it is pretty wicked. The climate is unbelievably hot and very, very dry. I have seen men dig huge, huge holes in the bottom of riverbeds just trying to find a drop of water. And the farmers have done something which is so extraordinary that I know you've never heard about it. Here's a cow that is dying because there's no nutrition. So the farmer, can you imagine this on a larger scale? He puts four poles down, one at one on each side towards the head of the cow and towards the rear of the cow, four posts. And then he puts a sling on the front and the back of the cow to hold the cow up during the famine so the animal will never, ever lie down. Why? Because if they lie down, they will die. Isn't that amazing? So... Our people in northeast Brazil know something about famines, and it's incredible how they keep their stocks alive. It's really something to see this in action. Every animal supported by a sling to keep it up, upright so it won't die. So, folks, God does all this for a reason. People seldom, someone said, people seldom lose their religion by a blowout. It's usually a slow leak. And see, what is happening now, uh, 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 this, this famine has come, and Abram is moving down towards the south. Now, we move now to the consequences of his backsliding. When we come to the consequences, this is, um, I call this solving problems apart from God. Trying to do it on our own, which is, seems to be the human nature. Let's just do it on our own. We'll get through it somehow. We'll just solve the problem. Well, Solving the problem on our own doesn't work so good. First of all, we find decline. That's in verses 9 and 10. We've already read those where, where it says that, that he went on down towards the south and there was a famine in the land. He went down to Egypt to dwell there. And it's interesting, in Isaiah chapter 31 and, verse, uh, and in verse 1, there's an interesting warning given there. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt. For help. Very interesting verse. Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 2.15 in, 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 uh, in, in our New Testament says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. But see, it is our nature to solve our problems, usually our way. And so 
that makes us go down into Egypt to get help from the wrong place. And it's very interesting. Uh, Spurgeon said, backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and end with filthy garments. Oh, how true. Vance Havner, the great Southern Baptist minister, said, We are so subnormal that if we ever became normal, people would think we are abnormal. <laughs> Decline. Not taking God's place for us, but thinking we can solve it on our own. Sometimes skipping church is the beginning of a spiritual decline. Did you know that? Just skipping church. Or skipping those devotions, skipping that time of prayer, all a little sign of things are not going so well. Now, after decline, we find number two, deception. This is extremely interesting. Look at verse 11, please. Uh, it, it is so revealing. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Boy, that is an interesting series of verses, dear people. You see, this is the deception that Abram wanted to perpetrate upon the evil and wicked kings in the country where he was fleeing because of the famine for help down there. It is absolutely amazing. It's done for self. It's actually like self-deception. It, it's done, it's done <clears throat> to really get you off the hook, but you're really deceiving yourself. And backsliders are seldom interested in anyone but themselves. Notice in the scripture which I read, he says, they will kill me. And, and, and I wanted that it would be well with me. And he says, that I, I may live because of you. And it's usually to cover up something. You see, he was covering his own bases, but look what he did, the, the, the deception. By this we learn not to use unlawful means nor to put others in danger to save ourselves. Though, though, she, was, though she was 65 years of age, dear, dear people, she was a beautiful lady. She was a beautiful lady. Uh, and who was, and, and um, Abram was 75 at the time, and she was a very, very beautiful person. It's interesting um, that he only told, he told a half-truth, you see, he, he didn't lie all the way, but if a, if a lie is a lie, it's a lie, right? You see, she was his half-sister. You can see that as you read uh, uh, Genesis 20, uh, 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she, and she became my wife. She was, in other words, she was Abram's half-sister. But that didn't make any difference because he told the king that, well, this lady that's so beautiful, she's my sister. It's hard to believe in it. So when you start your decline, the deception takes over. And now we move into the third word in our consequence of backsliding, and that's the word danger in verses 14 and 15. Danger. Notice, notice those verses, please. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. 
The princess of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her, commanded her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, donkeys, male female servants, female donkeys and camels. Interesting that now he has told a lie, and because of that, the Pharaoh of Egypt and the kings there, which was typically done in history. You can read it. It's rampant in history. This is what they did. They would take the man's wife and she would become the king's, another one of his wives. And that's what they did with Sarah. What a, what a, what a shame that he, that he imposed this danger upon her. You see, um, something that it is done by eastern kings all the time. So Sarah and all of Abram's servants were jeopardized by his, by his sin. And it makes me wonder, in unwise decisions which we can make oftentimes, dear folks, I wonder how many husbands have placed their wives uh, or children uh, in, a, in dangerous situations because, because of pride and selfish ambition, because they were not walking with God, and something, something went wrong. What a shame. Well, that leads us to a fourth word and item and the consequences of the uh, of backsliding, and I call that disgrace in verses 16 to 20. Notice, notice how, how it is written there. Um, <clears throat> he treated Abram well for her sake. I've already read that verse. Now verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Yep, that's the disgrace. What a disgrace it was. God protected Abram even when he didn't even know it. God's grace is still operating even when we fail him, dear folks. His grace is so wonderful and helpful to us. It is a shame to be corrected by the, by the world for our folly, but the world corrected Abram for his folly. The Pharaoh did. It is, a gra it is gracious of the world to tell us where to go. I read this very significant. A North Carolina preacher, in the days when they used to get hotel entertainment for free, have you ever heard of that? That used to happen years ago. Um, he was put up in this nice place, and as he, was, as he was leaving, was presented with a bill. And he said, why? I thought preachers were entertained free. Well, the manager said, you know, you came and you ate your meals without ever asking the blessing when you had your meals. No one has ever seen you with a Bible. You did some other things that aren't becoming to a preacher, and you talked about everything but religion while you were here as a guest at our place. Pray, how were you, how were we to know that you were a preacher? You have lived like a sinner, so now you will have to pay with the sinners. Water, water rebuke. What a rebuke. So true. Often God rebukes his people and reminds them through enemies that this world is not their home. I read of a Christian girl who took 
a young man to a special entertainment place. And in the middle of all the fun, she looked at him and said, she said, are you a Christian? And his reply was this, no, and neither are you, because if you were, you would not be here. You see, we may think that we can do some things and it's all okay, but God knows really the heart. And so the world, really, the world out there knows better than we sometimes where we really should be. And thank God that they can give us a rebuke now and then that we need to hear, like Abram did on this situation. Well, thank God there's a cure for backsliding. You see it in the next chapter. Just look over there. Boy, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, Then Abram, notice this, went up. Remember, in the last chapter he went down. Down is always kind of a spiritual uh, illustration of not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now he's coming up. He said, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and let and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and so on, and it was a, it's really, a, really a, a wonderful verse there. And notice that he went to Bethel in verse 3, in the place where, notice, in the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. The first time that he called upon the name of the Lord since his trip down into Egypt. Because like I said, if you do not have an altar and do not have a place of communion with God, wherever that may be, you're not going to be calling upon him and talking to him. And that's what happened to him. But thank God he went back, he went up and went to Bethel and went to the place where his, his altar was and he called on the name of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God that he did. I'm so glad that Abram was willing to get out of there sent by the rebuke of a godless king. And the only victory that we can claim is that we, that which takes us back to where we got off track with God. And friends, only you know where you got off track with God. You know your own heart. You know the story. Where was it that you got off track with God? God wants you to go back there today. We used to sing a song, Back to Bethel. Remember that? Back to Bethel. Um, when Abram got back to the altar, he began to pray, and that's what God wants us to do as well. So I may ask, in conclusion, friends, I may ask this question to my own heart and to yours. Are you jeopardizing your family members because of your sin of enjoying the pleasures of Egypt? Remember, everything you do in this life is a classroom, and others are watching and listening. You may think that you are acting on your own, it's not that way, my dear friends. The world is watching you. Your family is watching you. What are you teaching them? Can you honestly say before God that you are where he wants you to be today? I trust that you are. If you are in Egypt spiritually, my dear friend, today, will you leave and go back to Bethel? Please do. The place of communion and prayer where God wants you? Don't say it doesn't matter. Remember, this is so very significant. Don't say it doesn't matter because this same Abram in chapter 20 went to another town and did the same thing with his wife again and said that she was his sister. And the king got his wife again. So you see, 
Abram in some ways really didn't learn the lesson. God had to teach him again. And here's the part that hurts the worst. You go over to chapter 26, and Abram's son, Abr uh, we go over there and we, we find that, um, we find that um, now that Jacob, or Isaac, I mean, Isaac took Rebekah down to this same area, and he told the king that Rebekah is my sister. Isn't that amazing? He learned to lie from his dad. And he thought his dad could get by with it, so he tried it again, and it didn't work there either. See, you cannot get by with these things, dear friend, because someone is looking. But you can make it right today. A certain general had a horse. This is a long time ago, of course. A certain general had a horse of which he was fond. One day it ran away with him, and he was unable to check it. On, on it rushed toward an awful precipice about 20 yards away, and from the brink, the general drew out his sword, and he slew the horse and saved his life from going over there. And we, too, should slay that thing, dear friend, that is leading us back to where we got off track with God. Make it right with Him. You could even be here this morning, and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior. So all this stuff is strange to you because you're not even a Christian. Oh, how wonderful it would be to just place your trust in Him, knowing that God says you are a sinner and that He will save you from your sin if you will just give Him your life today. Trust Him as your Savior. He will give you eternal life this very moment as we speak. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts, we pray. Give us that which we need to know from this precious portion of Scripture. It is so wonderful. We need it, and we thank you for teaching us from its pages today. Help us, O oh God, to just know that you are willing to forgive. Help us to come back to Bethel, to the place of communion. And as I close today, dear folks, in your hearts, will you just say to God, O oh God, today I need to make some kind of a decision. Your word has spoken to my heart. Help me to make that decision right now. If you're outside the fold of Christ, just receive him sweetly into your life and, and tell someone about it afterwards so you can be instructed in God's word and helped. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word today. Bless it to our hearts. Help us not to forget it, Lord. Just keep burning it into our souls so that we will never forget that we should never go down into the world for help, but only trust you our wonderful, wonderful Savior. We ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen.